lovely to see you here today. Uh, could you please turn with me to Haggai chapter 1? Uh, it's good to have it on, it, be, the, the, it'll come up on the screen, but it's actually good to have it on your device or in your Bible so that you can see the context as we work through. Uh, but if you can't do that, that's okay, it's still got the screen. Uh, but Haggai chapter 1, and we're just beginning the very short three-week series on Haggai uh, before we go to Galatians um, after that. So let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us uh, by your Spirit through your Word, and we thank you uh, that your Spirit has been speaking to us through the reading uh, of your Word. Uh, and we pray now that he would stir our hearts uh, through this Word, uh, that we might uh, love you and serve you. We pray that he will strengthen me to preach your Word rightly and in his power, uh, and may you be glorified in all that happens. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's a famous story uh, you've probably heard of in some form or other. Uh, in one rendition of it, Sir Christopher Wren, the architect of St. Paul's in London, observed three bricklayers working on a project. He asked the first one, what are you doing? And he said, I'm doing my job to feed my family. He asked the second one, what are you doing? He said, I'm laying bricks to make a wall. He asked the third one, what are you doing? And he said, I'm building a great cathedral to the glory of God. Our passage today is about a call to build, not a cathedral, but a temple. And it really is to the glory of God. Before we look at the passage, though, let me give you a bit of background to help us understand it better. The Old Testament tells of the story of God's people Israel. We know that God brought them out of the land of Egypt into the promised land. And there in the promised land, they had judges and then kings. But they sinned against God and so badly that he eventually sent them into exile from the land. The people in the north were scattered by the Assyrians. The people in the south were taken away by the Babylonians. But God had promised that one day he would bring them back. And after that, there would be a glorious kingdom where he would rule forever. In the time of Haggai the prophet, God had begun the process of bringing people back into the promised land. If we want to read the history behind it, it's written up for us in the book of Ezra. The Babylonians were defeated by the Persians, and Cyrus, the king of Persia, gave Jews permission to return because he wanted them to build God's house in Jerusalem. A number of exiles returned. They began the process in 538 B.C. They started by building the altar to offer sacrifices to God. And after that, they laid the foundations of the temple. But after that, they got discouraged. They faced opposition from the people who had moved into the land. And these people wrote to the Persian authorities, maligning the work, accusing the workers of rebellion. And the new Persian king gave orders that the work should stop. And it did. Eventually, however, another king came to the throne, but the Jews made no attempt to get the work started again. Until two prophets prophesied to them in the name of the Lord and commanded them to do it. We read in Ezra chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Ido, 
prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedek, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem and the prophets of God who were with them, supporting them. Right, so this rebuilding started through the prophecies of Haggai and Zechariah. One day, hopefully, we'll look at Zechariah. But today, in fact, over the next three weeks, we're looking at the prophecy of Haggai that resulted in the rebuilding of the house of God in Jerusalem. Now, the prophet's name, Haggai, is related to the Hebrew word for festival or procession, but it's probably just a name la, rather than having theological significance uh, for understanding the book. Uh, Haggai's first recorded prophecy was in verse 1. It says, In the second year of the sixth, second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month. That's where it happens. And that works out to be the 29th of August, 520 BC. Right? 18 years after the exiles first start coming back. And because Haggai was a true prophet of God, uh, the words that he spoke were not just his own. The prophecy was, verse 1 it says, the word of the Lord that came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. The word of the Lord, the L-O-R-D, capital L-O-R-D, is how our translation translates, Yahweh, I am, the God of Israel. And so through Haggai the prophet, Yahweh speaks to his political leader, right? the one who is like a king, but he's not a king, he's just a governor, Zerubbabel, and the religious leader, the high priest, Joshua. What does he say? Well, verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, that is the Yahweh of armies, the, the all-powerful God. What does he say? These people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Right. God's people have come up with some excuse why they shouldn't be building the temple yet. And God knows this. Now, we don't know why. We don't know what the excuse is. Right? Maybe it's the opposition still around. Maybe there's lack of funds. They're waiting for God to bless them abundantly. Maybe there's another reason. Maybe just uh, later, lah, later we'll do. For whatever reason, they say, now is not the time. And God responds with a rebuke. Verse 3, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins. Their priorities are wrong. They are making nice houses for themselves, while God's house is not built. And God reminds them of the covenant that he made with them at Sinai. According to the terms of their covenant, that's their covenant, not our covenant, but in their covenant, if they obey God in the land, he will bless them in the land with material blessings. His favor on them would be expressed in crops and harvest and livestock and rain. But if they fail to obey him, they'll get the opposite and will end up being expelled. Right, you read about those blessings and curses at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And Israel has just been having that experience of being under curse, of being in exile. And God says to them through Haggai, actually you're still there. The curse hasn't yet changed into blessing. Of course it's better than before. Lah. They're now back in the land. But it's still bad. Look at verse 5 and 6. He says, Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. 
You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Just lost. It still feels like they're living under curse. So what should they do? Verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Maybe they think it's not yet time because they haven't yet received God's blessings. But God says they won't see the blessings until the temple's built. Maybe they think for now we just have to survive. We need to look after ourselves. But when we are blessed with abundance, ah, then we will use the abundance to build the temple. But God says they will not see the abundance until they are obedient. The curse will be lifted when the temple comes, not the other way around. And so God gives them a wake-up call. If you want to see my blessing, do the right thing by me. Build my house. That I, verse 8 again, may be glorified. Or in fact, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified. Now, God doesn't need a house. He doesn't live in houses built by human hands. And yet he wants to take pleasure in the house that they build. For they put, when they put him and his temple first, above their own houses, they will be honoring him and obeying him. And he will be glorified. But that's not happening. And so God is withholding his blessing. Now look at verse 9. He says, You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. They are not putting God first. They are not honoring him. They are not being obedient. They are just making excuses. And God reminds them again that the reason the curses of Deuteronomy still apply to them is because of that. Verse 10, Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. God's people are not building his temple. And so he gives them a word of rebuke. A word of rebuke based on his covenant. Now, before we look at the relevance of this, can I just check with you, would it be better for me to switch across to this mic? Uh, is this mic okay with you? Still okay, yeah? All right, okay. Uh, let's think about the relevance of this. How, does, how is this going to apply to us? Now, of course, we might be tempted to use this passage to raise funds for building project. Okay? Uh, we might tell people, maybe they're not seeing blessing in their life because they haven't given money to build, to build God's house. Right? Now, well, that might be convenient, but uh, that would be misusing Scripture lah, for our purpose. It's not really what the Bible is saying to us. Because... We don't live in Old Testament Israel. We're not under the Sinai Covenant. We don't offer sacrifices. 
God's presence is not expressed among us in a temple. At least not the kind of temple you can build with stones and, and wood. So, what's the relevance for us? Well, before we can see the application, we need to be able to translate the framework. Right? The New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old. The Old Testament is from the shadows, the models, the pictures that point to the realities that are found in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the temple was the place to meet God. That's where God's presence dwelt. New Testament, where do you meet God? You meet God in Jesus. He's the true temple. Destroy this temple, he said, I will raise it up in three days. And he was talking about the temple of his body. Jesus is the true temple. That is why it is when Jesus comes that the curse is lifted in reality. Because that curse on the land, of course, is a picture of the even bigger curse, isn't it? All right, the curse that, that comes on the whole world because of sin. And that curse is lifted when the temple comes. When Jesus first came, when he died for our sins, he took our curse that we might have every, every spiritual blessing in him. And when Jesus comes back again, the curse will be lifted in its entirety. And the effect of all humankind's fall into sin will be gone. And we will once again be enjoying God, God's presence. And we will be God's people in God's place under his blessing and rule forever. Even better than Eden. When the temple comes, the curse is lifted. The difference, of course, that's not something we can do ourselves. Huh? The real temple is not something that we can construct, no matter how hard we try. It's something that's given to us. It's a gift of grace. But that doesn't mean there's no application here for us at all. Because there's another sense in the word temple is used in the New Testament. We are God's temple. We are God's temple individually because God's Spirit lives in us. We are God's temple corporately, that is, together. And that is the temple that actually is being built right now. It's not a physical building. It's a spiritual one. Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 22, tells us about this temple. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22, um, uh, it says that it is, it is uh, you can see it on the screen, it is a temple that is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Uh, they are the ones who gave us the first layer uh, of the gospel in which the rest of the temple is built. And in this temple, Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. Right, the cornerstone is stone. It's got to be perfect, right? It's the, the stone in the corner. It's got to be perfect because every you follow the stone that 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 direction, right? That direction, uh, every direction you have to follow that stone. So that's got to be the perfect one, right? Everything in the temple got to conform to him. And this temple, verse twenty-one, is growing. It is being built as more and more people come to know the Lord Jesus, and this wonderful temple will continue to be built. Stone by stone, as the gospel goes out, as people come to know that Jesus is Lord, that he died on the cross to take the punishment for their sins so they can be forgiven, and they trust in him as their savior and their king. And when Jesus returns, this temple will be complete. It will be a glorious place for God to dwell in by his spirit. And God will take pleasure in this temple. God will be glorified in this temple. And the ultimate blessing will come with the completion of this temple, the blessing of being God's people in God's place under God's blessing and rule forever. In the meantime, this temple, which represents the universal church, is expressed in the local church. The people, not the building, which is in a lesser sense is also the temple. And so in our New Testament reading today, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says to the Corinthian church in verse 16, don't you know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? 
That's why he talks about building God's building, he said. And he's referring to the local church. The church is built properly as the true word of God is proclaimed in love. And in the end, only that which is built properly will survive. So what's the temple that's being built right now? It's the people of God, isn't it? Together, we are God's temple. Having understood that, then now we can see very clearly what God is telling us today through this Haggai passage. Build my temple. That is the most important project in the world today. Let me say, there will be some people here who need to hear this word of rebuke that God gives his people Israel. Remember how the people of Israel busied themselves with their own houses while the house of the Lord lay in ruins? Well, don't you be like that. Don't you have your mind so preoccupied with worldly distractions and responsibilities and projects that you forget to play your part in the most important enterprise in human history? God says, build my house. Now let me speak to some of you, just some of you. Are you going to be so selfish that although you see the lack of Christian leaders and pastors and teachers and ministry workers, and you know that God has given you the character and gifts for vocational ministry, you still say, let someone else do it. I'm going to concentrate on my house. Now, I'm not saying that everyone should be a pastor or a church worker or even a church administrator. They shouldn't. In fact, only a few people have been given gifts for it. Most haven't. Which is all the more reason why, if you're of the right character in gifts, you better not squander those gifts on building your own house or your company's house and not God's house. And even if you're not someone who ought to be in vocational ministry, you're not off the hook. Because you still have a part to play in the building of God's house. Of course you do. All of us do. Are you playing your part? Or are you so busy building your own house that you neglect to build God's? He who has ears to hear, let him hear a word of rebuke from the word of God. Now what do God's Old Testament people do? when they hear this rebuke. Verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, remember he's the governor, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. God's leaders and God's people heard God's word, and obeyed it. As it says at the end of verse 12, and the people feared the Lord. They knew what it was like to come under his curse and they didn't want to remain there. God's people feared, his word, feared God and they obeyed his word. Right? Uh, friends, actually we are in a much better position today, isn't it? Right? God has shown grace to us in Christ Jesus. Uh, we're not under the old covenant anymore. 
We're not under those blessings and curses anymore. We are saved by grace. Our future is secure. God has blessed us in Christ. Of course, that doesn't mean we don't have to listen to words of rebuke, because we're still accountable to God. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, good or evil. And then he says in verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. All right. Like us, Paul is saved by grace. He is compelled by the love of Christ. He will say a little bit like, the love of Christ compels us. The death of Jesus is the powerful motivator for him as it is for us. But there is also a healthy fear of the Lord. Not driven by blessings and curses like in the Old Testament, but based on the fact that each of us will answer to Jesus one day for what we've done with our lives. The people of Haggai's day feared the Lord and obeyed his voice, and we should do the same. Now, as I look around this room, I know there are actually many people here who are sacrificially building God's house. I can see that. What is God's word for you today from this word? Well, when the people of Haggai's day feared God and decided to obey his word, God spoke to them again. And this time is a word of encouragement. Verse 13, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people the Lord's message. Uh, and say it's a wonderful message of promise of God's presence. He says, I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you, declares the Lord. Right, many years before this, God had made that same promise to their ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Uh, and because he was with them, they would survive and, and their descendants would inherit the land. And that's what happened. Through Moses, God made that promise to Joshua. And because God was with Joshua, he would lead his people into the promised land. And that's what happened. And God made that same promise to the nation in exile. And because of that, he would bring his people back. And there they were. I am with you, declares the Lord. And so now these people, they are beginning to build the house. They're beginning to do the work. And God says to them, I am with you. Right? Even though the fullness of the blessing hasn't come yet, that's okay. Because God is with them as they begin to build. They might face opposition. Actually, they haven't yet got government permission. They might face hardship. This is going to be work, not leisure. They might face all kinds of difficulty, but the promise is, I am with you, declares the Lord. And if God is with them, then that is enough. The temple will be built. Because if God is with them, who can stand against them in the end? And sisters and brothers, as we seek to obey God and to build his house, God gives us that same promise that he gave to his people of old. In Matthew 28, when the risen Jesus, talking to his disciples, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He is the Lord of hosts, the almighty God. And then he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, right? bringing people into the kingdom, helping them to grow in obedience to all that Jesus teaches us, that's, that's building the house, isn't it? Right? And then what does he say? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus promises to be with us as we labor to build. Even though the fullness of the blessing hasn't come yet, it only come with a new creation, that's okay if Jesus is with us. We might face opposition from people, from powers, from spiritual enemies in heavenly places. We might face hardship. This is going to be work, not leisure. We might face all kinds of difficulties. But God's message to us is this. I am with you. I am with you. And if God is with us, and that is enough, isn't it? The temple will be built. Because if God is with us, then who can stand against us in the end? So God provided the rebuke. He provided the encouragement. But even that was not enough. Because that was coming from the outside. Motivation is needed from the inside as well. And God provided that as well. And so the third thing he did in verse 14 was to stir their spirits. Verse 14, and the Lord stirred the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of his people. This Pentecost Sunday, today's Pentecost Sunday, my prayer is that God's Spirit is stirring up the spirits of His people to build His house. My prayer is that as God's Word is being proclaimed, God is working deep in many hearts today and giving us motivation from within. That He's opening our eyes to help us see that we actually we really do need to make the sacrifices necessary to build this temple, but it's worth building. each one of us be ready to wake up and play our part in this building project. Now, we're all different. We're all going to have different parts to play. All of us will be ready to share the gospel. Some of us will have lots more opportunities to explain the gospel to others. All of us will seek to be friendly and welcoming to outsiders and newcomers when they come. Some of us will be especially trained to help people be established in the faith. All of us will encourage each other in God's word as we read it to each other, as we sing, as we say the creed, as we talk after church, as we do Bible study in our small groups. Some of us will have the opportunity to formally teach God's word to others. All of us will help out in serving wherever we can. Some of us will join teams that will serve in different areas. And some will shoulder the administrative responsibilities of creating the scaffolds that others can stand on to lay the stones. All of us will pray for the building effort. Some of us will pray earnestly night and day for the building and the builders. All of us will give what we can for the work of the gospel in proportion to our income. Some of us will give money with special generosity so that those who are really good at building can concentrate on building rather than being distracted to have to earn a living elsewhere. All of us serve in ministry. Some of us 
will serve in full-time ministry. May the Lord stir all our hearts so that we are willing to serve wherever and however He wants us to. To delay, to delay no longer, but to pick up our tools and get on with the task of building His temple. The end of verse 14 tells us what happened when God stirred up the spirits of his Old Testament people. It says, And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts their God on the 24th day of the month in the sixth month. God's people worked and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, the Yahweh of armies, the Almighty God, the house of God. What a, what a privilege that was. Brothers and sisters, you and I are working on the house of the Lord of hosts. In fact, we are working on the true house on which that house they were working on was just a shadow. Never forget that. Whatever your role, make sure you see it rightly as part of building God's temple. Be like the third workman in the story that I told at the beginning. Don't say, oh, my job is to find people a chair when they come in. Right? Your job is to find people a chair so they can engage with the service, so they can hear God's word and they have their lives changed by him. You are building God's temple. I'll say my job is to set up the AV. Your job is to make sure that people get to hear God's word. You are building God's temple. Don't say, I don't have a job because you don't have a formal role in the service. Can you look out for new people in the congregation and welcome them and introduce them to other people and look out for them again next week? Then you're building God's temple. As you teach your child, or your grandchild, or your godchild, or your nephew, or your niece about Jesus, as you, as you read a Bible story to him, or to pray with her, you're not just doing your routine duty as a parent, or grandparent, or godparent, or uncle, or aunt. You're, you're building God's temple. Don't ever think of your ministry as a task in and of itself. See it for what it is. You're building God's temple. It's not just another email to write, you're building God's temple. It's not just another meeting to attend, you're building God's temple. Not just another person to meet, you're building God's temple. Not just another brother or sister to encourage, you're building God's temple. Not just another needy person to assist, you're building God's temple. Not just another sick person to visit, you're building God's temple. Not just another report to finish, you're building God's temple. Not just another Bible study to prepare, you're building God's temple. Not just another person to call, you're building God's temple. Not just another seminar to attend, you're building God's temple. Not just another small group to lead, you're building God's temple. You are not, let me say it again, you are not building something small and pathetic like this little building on Merdeka Hill. See this, look this building is going to come up on the screen. See that one? All right. Will you recognize it when you see it later? All right. When you walk out here, face, look out that direction up there. All right. And you look up, you'll see that building. Every time you see that building, Every time you come to KL, you look at that building, I want you to remember this. This building is so pathetic that in a thousand years' time, it won't even be there. But you, you are building something much, much better. 
you are playing your part in building the most magnificent structure in the universe, a structure that lasts forever. And more than that, a structure that God himself delights in. You cannot build any better than that. No matter how big or small your role seems to be in that building project, my brother, my sister, it is far, far more important in all eternity than if you were the chief architect for that building. And there is nothing in your life more important than building this temple. Get perspective. The most important thing you do each week is not your CEO job. It's when you tell your children about Jesus. The most important document you read line by line with someone this week is not that big contract. It's the Bible in your one-to-one. -one. The most important presentation you will make this week is not that pitch to the investors, not that academic paper, not that summing up of your client's case before the judge. It's the kids' church lesson that you work so hard to prepare. Because right there, you are building God's temple. So don't let discouragements and difficulties and opposition make you lose heart like they did the Israelites. If you and I are building God's temple, I promise you all kinds of discouragements, all kinds of opposition, even deliberate sabotage sometimes. That's just normal for building workers who are building God's temple. But don't stop. And if you stopped, like those Israelites, don't make excuses to stop you from starting again. When the word of God came to the people of Israel through Haggai, they feared God and obeyed him. So let's do the same with the word that we've heard today. And let's pray that God would stir many hearts to join us in this glorious endeavor to build God's temple. And God will be with us as we do.